you're a founder building a company, you're going to eventually have to start hiring executives to help you scale. The people you bring into your leadership team can make or break your startup. I'm Nigel Robinson with Build Talent, and in each episode, we'll be speaking with a founder or expert as we discuss the art and science of hiring leaders, why it matters, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. All right. Thank you. You are here with us, another episode of the Gradients Podcast. And I am here with Riley, the co-founder of Freenome. They do machine learning on liquid biopsies for early detection of cancer. It's been over eight years of experience in disease prevention and detection, raised over a billion dollars from investors like Andreessen Horowitz, from the American Cancer Society, from Kaiser, from Roche, from RA Capital recognized by Biotechnology Institute for the Hall of Fame Award, recognized by CNN, Google X, ABC, the American Society of Microbiology, just a slew of awards and acknowledgments for all the work that you've done. I know, I understand you were also a Teal Fellow, 20 Under 20, back in 2013. I think the maybe lesser known accomplishment is you founded your first company when you were in high school isolating the immune system of a horseshoe crab and sold it to e-cancer. Am I getting that right? Close. Close, close, but not quite. But anyway, we are glad to have you here on the show with us, Riley. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. So maybe you can flesh that out because it seems like you've been interested in this stuff for a long time, even since high school. Can you tell us a little bit more about that story and like how you found yourself interested in this biotech realm? It really started from first-hand experience, just seeing how an imperfect healthcare system and I think a lot of progress in technology and biotech, but still a lot of challenges, can still lead to life-saving outcomes. I had watched my younger sister go through dealing with a medical condition and being saved. It was a life-threatening condition, had a lot of experimental surgeries and medical devices, and just seeing how a clinical trial and completely novel ways of approaching a disease can save somebody's life, especially when it's your sister and it's in your own household. It just changes your outlook on what's possible and what you can do. So I dedicated my life very early to saying, I want to do whatever I can to help the people around me and to have a really scalable impact on as many people's lives as possible. And really just seeing it wasn't just about having the best technology, it's about quality of life especially when you're thinking about somebody who has a, a condition. It's really looking at the whole person, making sure the technologies are affordable, accessible, interpretable, actionable. I mean, it's everything that you experience when it's somebody in your family that all of us have been impacted in, in one way or another by a chronic condition or disease or an infectious disease with COVID. So it really seeing that firsthand and seeing clinical trials you know, in your own family, it gave me this maybe naive, but a blind sense of belief that anything was possible and that people who were involved in saving my sister's life, they didn't always have all the answers. They didn't always have the right technologies. It didn't always work. And just seeing that it can play out in a way that is so meaningful, it definitely set me on a trajectory of wanting to tackle the next big problem that at least I saw around me and then definitely impacted my family, which was cancer. And Really early on in high school, started spending a lot of time understanding how can we better intervene and, and hopefully cure cancer. And 
initially my focus was on activating the immune system and using the body's natural forces. And I remember growing up seeing a Washington Post article I grew up in the Northern Virginia area, hearing about how bone marrow transplantation as the reset button for the immune system actually cured certain people who have specific blood cancers. And that to me was just so remarkable that your body can reject this terrible cancer on its own. And how could we tap into that more effectively? And you fast forward from high school into eventually leaving the therapeutic space, trying to find the magic bullet and moving into early detection, because it became really clear that without our ability to find cancer early and matching people to the most effective therapies, including immunotherapies, that we're not going to be able to improve not only survival and and long-term survival and getting to cure, but also quality of life. These treatments are expensive. They're really bad side effects. And it was very clear that the unmet need was on our ability to catch cancer early. And that was really the impetus for starting Freenome. I didn't have the solution, didn't know exactly what the most effective way to find different cancers early. And that's, I think, what set the tone in the culture for Freenome, which was being patient-centric, being focused on actionability, and really discovering what are the best non-invasive markers that we could capture from blood to be able to identify cancer when it's at its most intervenable and earliest stages. So it was a, it's a journey, but it's been a journey focused on a problem. And I've been on the, the cancer journey since high school and are seeing really good progress with Freenome and our ability to detect colorectal cancer from blood as a proof of concept of our multi-omics technology. And all that multi-omics means is we're looking at different types of DNA, as well as protein and immune markers and other circulating biomarkers that can help us catch cancer early. And the vision is that as we can shift and identify earlier stage disease, that we can then intervene more effectively and then hopefully get people towards prevention. And even in cases where people do have cancer, hopefully cure with some of the novel treatments that are coming out. So that's the journey. It's been very problem-focused. And I think it's remarkable to see just the impact and the change it's had in the field overall, as many companies and groups have been pursuing and pushing, I think, this field of early detection forward. So it's a very exciting time. And we still have a long way to go, but there's a lot of support on multiple fronts to, I think, making this vision of early detection and early intervention a reality. Wow. No, that's really powerful too. And like the fact that you found this mountain to climb so young. So to start, to scale it back a little bit, you get your BA in molecular biology, you go into Johns Hopkins to get a master's in biotech, but you leave to start Freenome before you finish it. What was happening in your life? What was happening in your mind when you first conceived of the idea to start Freenome? And you knew that you wanted to tackle something in this space, but maybe we're looking for the right place to start digging, let's say. What was the impetus at that moment to, that you knew this was the thing and this was the time? It really came from working in the immunotherapy space and seeing how challenging it was to get the immune system to respond to cancer, especially when it was late stage. Cancer is evolving. Cancer is very smart. It can shut off your immune system. It can hide from your immune system. It can mutate and avoid specific pathways that drugs go after. And it's scary. And seeing how difficult it was once somebody has 
an invasive or even in a worst case metastatic cancer, which is late stage, you're trying to battle evolution at that point. And the recognition, if we're able to catch cancer at a more early stage or even a pre-cancer like colorectal cancer, where there's these smaller adenomas, these advanced adenomas, that actually if you get a colonoscopy and you have those advanced adenomas removed, you practically are preventing the onset of colorectal cancer. So seeing, I think, firsthand that there is no magic bullet, there's no one treatment that's going to just cure everybody of cancer. And I think that's something that, especially in the field, we've come to appreciate with personalized medicine. But actually that in the earlier stages, those treatments might be more effective. You can give lower doses. There might be fewer adverse events. It was experiencing that firsthand that it was clear to me if my mission and passion and what I wanted to focus on was improving quality of life, improving the ability to get to prevention and cure, then we needed to progress in early detection. And there's only a couple of cancers that are currently recommended for screening today. There's only a couple of cancers where there's evidence that early detection improves outcomes. So it was clear that if we're really going to make a dent and getting to even a concept of prevention and cure, that we need a lot of improvement in early cancer detection. And that was the impetus for starting Freenome. And it was actually during the Teal Fellowship when I left Dartmouth initially and had focused on my first immunotherapy company and ended up leaving and starting Freenome in that time because it was very, very clear that we needed to make progress on early cancer detection. And that's what led to starting Freenome and really progressing on identifying which cancers we're going to go after, what are the best technologies, how can we build a set of platforms and capabilities and computational and an interdisciplinary team and culture that could build these early cancer detection tests on a common framework and platform. So that was really what led us down this path towards the multiomics. And also me personally, in terms of solving the root cause of the problem and not chasing after a specific technology or a idealistic principle of a magic bullet uh, for treatment. It was really getting to the root cause and how we can make a significant impact in people's lives. Yeah, I, I can see that. So yeah, so Freenome is really the third company you start. And it sounds like this second one, some of that naivete or that blind faith that you had in the beginning, you were like looking for that silver bullet. And then as you are kind of going through the process, you realize it's actually this early detection thing that you need to be focused on. And that leads you to start Freenome. Exactly. What was it like then? You have this insight. You realize that this is the direction. What was it like building that early team? We know you're thinking about how interdisciplinary you have to be. There's so many different angles that have to come together to like come up with a, an effective solution because of all of the complexity that you're outlining. How did you think about those early hires? What was the most important kind of pieces you were trying to fill? Absolutely. And I think the biggest focus and a big part of our mission overall is ensuring accessibility. And accessibility to testing means that it's affordable, it reaches diverse communities, and it really comes down to our ability to convince payers to reimburse a test. So bringing in the clinical expertise, the reimbursement expertise very early was absolutely critical. And some of our first key executive hires, like Garish Pucha, who is leading all of our reimbursement efforts now, had a background working closely with Medicare as part of the Palmetto Moldex program, which focuses on local coverage decisions for Medicare. 
And all that means is that you have somebody early on who's experienced at looking at the value of a diagnostic test. And should Medicare, for example, as one of the major payers in the US, should they reimburse a specific test? Is there enough evidence to show that the test improves benefit for people? And bringing in that clinical insight and reimbursement insight early was so important for us to focus on the indications and the cancers like colorectal, where there is that evidence, there's a clear path to coverage and reimbursement. And that all ties in this mission and ethos of building a test and technology that's going to be broadly accessible to people. So I'd say that was a decision we made early and bringing on and building a team focused on that outcome and utility and reimbursement. So that might not be the technology side of the house, but that was so important because you have to understand the problem first and foremost, understand all the barriers for the next 10 plus years that you're going to face and bring in the expertise around the table and have a culture that embraces these different opinions and people and experience and backgrounds so they can speak a common language and and really push not only what we can do clinically, but also scientifically. And it's the same guiding principles of bringing in machine learning. Most biotech companies don't have enough data or the data is too messy and noisy for you to use very sophisticated machine learning models. That doesn't mean that you don't invest in the research, build the team, build the capabilities, because if you think five, 10 plus years down the road, you will have enough data and you will be able to do those things. And I think the more you think long-term, but have enough conviction and milestones that demonstrate short-term clinical impact, progress, scientific impact and progress as well, then you can have that longer-term outlook and vision that you can build towards over time. And that also helps you find team members, investors, board members, advisors, etc., who agree and can lead and drive those short-term, but also believe in that bigger picture. And I think that's a big part of, of a startup is being so focused on what you can deliver in the short-term and being very problem-focused because we want to make an impact. That's why we're, we're all here and especially in the biotech space. And I think the ability to work and empower people to come up with that longer-term vision and making those smart long-term bets so that as the field evolves and grows, that you can continue to innovate and, and not become complacent or reactive. So that's something that I think as the early employees, especially as a founding team, it was really covering our bases, thinking about all aspects of the problem on the molecular side and the assays, the bioinformatics, the machine learning, the clinical data, how we run clinical studies, how we capture the health economic data and our ability to get FDA approval and work with regulators. It's the reimbursement side of the house. It's your people team and your culture, how you hire, how you run culture interviews, how you scale and have a program management organization and product development. How do you prioritize based on different unmet needs? How do you think about cost of goods and manufacturing and laboratory automation and scale? And all that has to come together in an ecosystem that's also going to be competitive in this job market. So it's all those factors that you need to consider, especially in the healthcare space. And it seems maybe somewhat primitive, but it's really making sure you're covering your bases, but finding people who are interdisciplinary and can cover multiple bases and be able to bridge communication. Because, and I say this all the time to the team, that sometimes you have to go slow, very slow before you can go fast. And you know, in a startup, we're always running, we're always moving quickly. And especially now at almost 400 people, we are still not quite a startup, but growing rapidly. 
but you need to be able to continue building and having, I think, that foundational ecosystem that people can communicate effectively, can execute well together as a team, make decisions. And sometimes you need to align, get on the same page and really work on the, the ability to communicate and see people's perspectives. So having people who can speak the multiple languages embedded in the team, it just helps improve the ability to grow and scale as the culture in itself, I think, becomes that natural bridge. And people become, in our case, a freenomer where they can speak the freenome language over time. That doesn't happen overnight. And it starts by hiring people who really can be at that nexus of multiple disciplines because they're the ones who can really be the interpreters and the guides to help empower multiple teams, just be a more effective, integrated, cross-functional organization. Wow. Yeah, it's such a insanely complex ecosystem that you have to develop. And like you're saying, it's, it's not just finding the people in those disciplines, but people that can think across those disciplines and then who can, who are really great at what they do. And it sounds like in the early days, like that core team, you were really finding people who could understand that 10-year timeline and almost work backward from that. You talked about the reimbursement side and the clinical data side. How far do you have to get in your vision or as um because you don't even really have like a product, I guess, really at that point. You have like these steps that you're trying to clear. How and Brandon White, what is a question that, that he pitched us is that you've been really great at hiring experienced credentialed people in biotech like that. And it sounds like you were finding those people really early on. What's your secret to bringing that kind of caliber on board? And, and I guess how much did you have in hand or as a company before being able to approach those conversations? It was a lot of listening and understanding, especially people with a lot of experience where they've seen the pitfalls of organizations. And it's finding people who have the self-awareness and the EQ and also the shared values with our mission and purpose. And if you're consistent, you have the perseverance and the grit, you'll find the people and they're out there. And, and there's a lot of people with experience who don't want to go back to a siloed organization. They don't want to go to a company that doesn't have a culture and a heart and a spirit. And they, they want to be in an ecosystem that they feel they you know themselves can shape and they can build something together with a team the right way. And not necessarily that one person knows the right way, but be able to empower others in the organization to grow and build a company and a culture that's just meaningful, that people get excited every day they wake up and they have context and they feel that they are delivering on something that's going to be life-changing for millions of people. And what's remarkable is the more you listen to people and kind of give them the space, even if you're just asking for advice, you're looking for advisors, those people become full-time employees and leaders within the organization because they feel that they're heard, they feel they can make an impact and a difference. And that's, I mean, that's what everyone's looking for in a job at the end of the day. And a lot of people don't have that. And I think that's something that smaller companies can really take advantage of, especially because you have the opportunity, if you're diligent, you persevere and you prioritize the right things, that you can build an organization that is different, that can adapt, that can be value-based and patient-centric in our case. And I think that's something that's super important. And it's something that Nobody should have an imposter syndrome around because at the end of the day, a lot of people aren't in an organization like that and they're looking for something better. And that's the benefit of wisdom and experience is that if the individual and leaders have the EQ, the operating level, and just the shared value system, 
they'll be able to work with you and partner with you to build an organization that is leaning on just a lot of experience from other companies that have tried multiple different ways to get to a culture and to a end goal, um, but were not successful or were successful. But still, it's a pay it forward mindset, especially in healthcare. I mean, we're all in this for a very common mission. So I've found that generally, if you just listen to folks and give them the space and also leverage that wisdom and experience and really value that wisdom and experience, it can help so much in terms of the uh, recruiting process. And it changes, right? You have different executives, different stages of company growth. That's something, you know, I feel that we have. You know, improved in over time, but it's something that I definitely had not appreciated how quickly organizations grow. And this is not just personnel, it's also processes and everything else. And a lot of times you need to prioritize those aspects and especially culture. Even when you're tired, you have deadlines, you're very resource constrained in a smaller company, but the culture especially and who you bring to the organization to evolve that culture and shape the culture is the culture is the team, it's the people is so important because that's what is going to differentiate you. It's going to help you get through the tough times. It's going to help you know, avoid complacency of an organization and continue innovating. It's probably the thing that I obsess over the most out of anything else because it's, it's just so important. And I think that's what attracts also the top leadership and top talent because they feel that they align with the values of the organization. Yeah. I mean, the culture is really the soul of a company. And Brian really brags about how principled a decision maker you've been around the culture at Freenome. And I guess we can talk a little bit about that of like, what was your original thesis? Because if I'm understanding, this is the largest company you've built. And like you're saying, there's maybe things that you know that you're going to scale the company, but maybe you don't know about all the complexity that comes with that of the unintended interdisciplinary snafus that happen or the workflow complications between wet lab, dry lab software. What was your thesis around culture going in? And were you of the mind that you were engineering and designing a culture or like developing the right soil for the culture to be emergent? Like, how were you thinking about that in those early steps? I think we learned firsthand that as much as you want to set values, put them on the wall and try to uphold and live by those values, what's stronger is giving people who generally have the same values. I mean, our first three values, integrity, trust, and empathy, those are just great attributes of any colleague. That's an environment all of us want to be in. There's, I don't think there's a person out there who wouldn't say that those are three values that they don't care about. But how does that manifest day to day? What does that look like? And how do people take ownership and shape and really provide input? And how does that culture become more emergent? So I think initially, we definitely as a lot of companies do, set the tone early in terms of what we care about. But within, I would say, even months of starting to build the team, it was so clear that adaptive and emergent mindset is what instills ownership. It's where people now lean into the culture. They feel even in a company of 400 people that they can shape and set the values and principles in the case of Freedom that can really help the organization be successful and attract people that share a similar mindset. So I think it's having a North Star and you have to be clear and intentional and purposeful. But at the end of the day, a lot of these values are very similar across organizations and how they manifest day to day and how you uphold them and how it changes as we learn better ways of operating as a team to get to our mission. 
we should change the culture. We should listen. We should have ways of getting feedback and really improving as individuals, improving as a team and a company. And it's more the opportunity for people to weigh in and be a part of shaping that emergent culture. I think that's what we learned and what's been very unique at Freenome. And now we, we call it our you know, it's a pillar of cultural ownership, whether it's promotions, through our culture interviews and what have you. We instill this idea that everyone is an owner of the culture. Everyone shapes the culture. Everyone through their day-to-day actions, the cultural leader. And you're accountable at Freenome for upholding, shaping, and really owning the values. And I think that's something that is shifting overall in terms of how people build company cultures, because the culture really should be oriented towards driving towards your mission and vision. And it will change as we learn better ways of achieving that mission and vision. So that's, I think, a step that we learned. And I wish definitely at the outset, but we we did learn it pretty quickly. Because when you especially hire people who are experienced, passionate, bring new perspectives or innovative, they want to be a part of shaping that culture. And not everyone wants that. Culture ownership is not a concept that a lot of people, not everyone is going to want to participate in, but that's fine. It's the same thing as people think about joining different teams, joining or going to school. I mean, whatever environment, you, you know, it's not always going to be for everybody. Yeah. And that's a key part of the hiring process is making sure we're always inclusive, bringing the best out of our individuals, but giving people an experience of what the culture is like day to day and being as authentic and transparent around that so that when people join, there are no surprises. Yeah. And as they peel back the onion, it's more meaningful and they feel more aligned with the values because in the case of freedom with culture ownership, their voice is shaping and they know that they're empowered, but also accountable to being a cultural leader. And that's something that we've adopted and you know, not all companies are going to do. But it's been, I think, an integral part, I think, of our success in terms of being able to adapt as changes occur, or we hit different roadblocks and align that culture to shine through and people feeling sense of obligation to upholding our values. I love that. And in that, you're scaling really quickly. You have to hire leaders for each side of the business. How do you look for culture signals that show an aptitude for that level of collaboration or that level of ownership? It's one thing to make sure the person is competent, but to make sure that they really fall in line with this way of life that you're trying to build for the free nomers. It really is, comes down to self-awareness and the awareness of how values in any organization from prior teams and that people are aware of how those values play out. So, and how even for themselves, their strengths and weaknesses, because nobody's perfect. So, our culture interviews really center not just on the culture interviews, but across the interview panel, collecting different signal and almost collaborating as a team to really see that one thing I've appreciated from doing probably, we've counted recently, I think. 520 or so culture interviews. Wow. And they, the questions have been, they've changed, but they're roughly the same. And I never could have imagined, let's say, taking an, a value like empathy, how many ways it can manifest in a person. And that the, the diversity of experience, cultural background, race, ethnicity, socioeconomics, I mean, education, everything, it can create all these flavors of empathy. And that's what makes culture interviews so hard is that we need to embrace that diversity to find the diamonds sometimes in the rough. And that's a big part of bringing in people who have that self-awareness that they can also give people the space, an opportunity to bring their best selves and be able to open up and 
demonstrate in a very short time in an interview that they have that self-awareness for themselves, but also that they understand, appreciate, and can really feel what our culture is, what our value is, and see if there's that additive effect. Because you know, in cultural ownership, if you're coming to free and shape our culture, we don't want you to be just like everybody else. We want you to add something new and contribute right. and shape the culture. I mean, that's what ownership is. So it's a very different way to approach the cultural interview experience. And we have a culture interviewers who've been trained and they help change the questions, give their input too. I mean, it's the same concept of ownership. And it's really allowed us to scale that culture interviewing program that we have. But it's, it's giving people the reins and always getting feedback and learning and growing. But just... I think it's humbled me on the different ways values can manifest. So it's looking for self-awareness because that self-awareness allows others to have an adaptive mindset and to be able to both be individual to improve, but also to help others grow and improve as well. And of course, that in turn helps leaders in the organization build and shape teams and ecosystems in a way that can lead to the evolution that's needed in a culture as a company grows, as you learn better ways of achieving your mission and vision. Absolutely. Yeah. It ripples throughout the whole thing for better and for worse, like the wrong hire and the right hire will, will absolutely make their splash. And I think this is an interesting point too, because you're over the course of hiring across these different disciplines and hiring various leaders, you've had an opportunity to work with different search firms to trust them that they're going to understand your mission and what y'all are looking for. How do you think about that selection process when you're thinking about, because the recruiter, the talent partner is probably going to talk to more people about your company and some than many of the actual leaders at your company. How do you think about who to work with? What is that selection process like for you? It's the same. And you do a, a very similar culture interview. And it's amazing when the stars align. And sometimes even when they don't align, it's really spending and investing the time up front once you've identified a firm and, and really working with them and being very collaborative with respect to feedback on both sides. It's always a two-way street. And I found that that investment in relationship and finding somebody who, you know, a group or firm that also wants to invest in the relationship, that's what matters the most. You're not always going to find a, a perfect match or even somebody that has experience with a specific set of roles. So those are all criteria that are important. But you know, what I've seen pretty consistently even if you have the best firm who knows how to find you know, this rare role that you can't fill or you have been very difficult to fill, the firm that sometimes might not have all the experience or the network, but they want to learn, they want to get feedback, they share your values, they want to improve, that hunger and tenacity tends to be more valuable. And we do a very similar cultural assessment just to make sure that there's enough alignment and with that constant feedback and improvement, and somebody who really wants to, and a firm that wants to really demonstrate and grow with you, that is usually the most impactful, I'd say. And the best is when you have the experience plus the tenacity and sense of ownership for the hiring process with an external firm. That's, of course, the best case scenario. But I would always prioritize the mindset mm. um, over necessarily a specific network or even track record in, uh, with specific roles. Right. Yeah. We talk about a lot how you should try to hire for the things you can't teach in those instances and like the alignment across like values and, and like you're saying, worldview mindset, that's critical. And so you looking back on this journey, you guys have scaled really quickly. You have, you've had a lot of success moving from R&D into pre-commercial. What 
wisdom would you share with your younger self? What would you tell Riley at the bottom of this mountain, looking up at the climb? What would you share and or impart to him? I would say most important and something that I definitely take to heart now is failing faster and failing intentionally mm-hmm. is something that I definitely wish an organization we'd adopted much earlier. I think a lot of times people want to prioritize and set things up for always preparing for both failure and success. And I think that when you have a mindset of making sure you're running the, the right studies, making sure you're focusing on the right priorities, doing that very quickly and constantly checking yourself, getting feedback and improving in the decisiveness around those decisions is, I think, the most important thing that I wish I'd definitely known early, early on. And it's something that I've learned from a lot of the folks who joined the team, especially over time, who've helped really, I think, drive that level of accountability in the organization. And that's allowed us to be both long-term and not fixated in the short-term, but still make sure we execute in a way and are prioritizing the right studies and partnerships, et cetera, that are going to drive the most value for the organization and not being afraid to take big steps and be able to really get to an answer quickly because that can really help just in terms of your ability to move towards the pre-commercial stage. So once you have that objective and clear requirements and almost uh, guideposts in place, and then expeditiously moving towards the bigger challenges is something that becomes a lot easier over time. So that's definitely what I would tell my earlier stage startup self. I like that of move toward the big challenges faster, like take them on, you know, they're coming, take them like head on in in, in an intentional way where it's like a controlled explosion, maybe (laughs) it's something. Yeah. And so in that vein, I mean, there's where we see the biotech space really expanding. There's people kind of tackling every piece of it from the tooling to the research side, to the diagnostics, therapeutics, What advice would you give to young founders out there that are thinking, you know, they're looking up at the biotech mountain that they want to climb? Like, what are some things that maybe they should be aware of or be thinking about early on in their adventure? Health equity. That's the most important thing. And I don't think as a industry and a field, we do enough, especially startups, to prioritize and think about diversing clinical trials. COVID has very, very unfortunately shed light on issues that have existed for a long time in healthcare in terms of access to a lot of different people and communities in the US, let alone, won't even talk about outside of the US. But you know, when you're trying to run your first clinical trial, the last thing you want to be thinking about is, okay, it's hard enough to enroll, especially during a pandemic, but how do we prioritize reaching the communities where we can be representative, inclusive, have the right key opinion leaders and clinical advisors and advocacy groups and folks that represent the communities that we want to serve? And how can we listen and understand the the pain points when there's so many different ways to think about, let's say, population-level preventative screening? I mean, you're talking about everyone in a specific, for example, colorectal cancer, everyone from 45 to 85. So being able to dissect and understand and appreciate and empathize with the people you're serving and prioritizing health equity prioritizing diversity in your clinical studies early is going to be one, a requirement. Now it looks like from updated guidance coming out of discussions with both FDA, CMS, a lot 
of groups in HHS. So it's becoming now a requirement, which is a really positive move for the space. But I think that even if you're not required by a government agency to think about health equity, we all as human beings should be caring a lot and thinking more, I think, purposefully about the products we're developing, the data we're collecting, and, and making sure that we are accounting for an understanding and appreciating the importance of addressing these issues in health equity up front. And I think the more we can bring it into early stage companies and, and thinking, it's going to uh, permeate across the field, especially as we get new innovative technologies that are approaching commercialization. So that, that's probably the most important shift that I see as a huge opportunity for all of us to kind of come together in our own ways, move away from the health inequities that have existed for far too long. And it's going to start with the new technologies, innovations, setting a tone and, uh, and setting a higher bar for how all of us should be approaching health equity. I love that. I love that. And what are the things that you're most excited about on the horizon of Freenome? You've made your way through, I'm, I'm sure, some incredible trials, you know, the least of which maybe being just the remote situation of the pandemic and having to be, have people in the lab, but also outside of the lab and the asynchronous stuff. You're on the, we're on hopefully the other side of it for, in large part, but yeah, tell us some more about what the future holds for y'all in terms of hiring vision or the next checkpoints kind of on your roadmap. Now, I, I think it's been difficult running a clinical study through the pandemic, but we've seen firsthand and, and learned some of the ways in which you can, for example, improve diversity in clinical studies, how we can really prepare for regulatory submissions, prepare for what the payers are going to need to see with respect to evidence. And Freenome, what we did is build a generalizable platform technology, but focus on one cancer, colorectal. And we believe that if you have a generalizable platform where you prove it out in a use case and, and a specific indication that you can generalize into many other areas. So I think it's applying the learnings from colorectal cancer into the other cancer types that we've started to initiate as part of our upcoming clinical studies. And all of the future Freenome studies are actually named after Freenome loved ones that have passed away from cancer. So the Villani and Sanderson study are named after two uh, close colleagues at Freenome who've had loved ones who've passed from cancer. And I think that just goes to show as we've gone from our initial, you know, colorectal cancer application, and now as we start preparing and applying what we've built from our clinical to our lab and automation to our software to our machine learning to our clinical trial frameworks and reimbursement and, and overall health policy frameworks, we want to bring those learnings into the multi-cancer screening space and early detection space. So I'm really excited that we've started to see, even with early data from our platform in pancreatic cancer, as well as some of the other indications we've worked on with our biopharma partners, such as Novartis and lung cancer, we see that possibility of generalizing what we've built in those new areas. So excited for not only the approval and eventual approval and submission to the FDA, of course, around our CRC test, but how we can now apply what we've built into many other indications, but then also thinking holistically about the patient journey experience and making sure that we are really driving home some of the challenges, but then solutions that we've discovered on our path towards progressing the multi-trains platform in CRC as we advance into some of the other screening areas. Wow, that's powerful. I love that idea of being able to generalize that work across the whole spectrum of cancer research. That's incredible. And 
Uh, you've been very generous with your time. I have some closing questions here before we let you go. What other companies or founders out there in your space would you like give a shout out to? What are some other things going on outside of Freenom that you're excited about? That is a tough question. <laughs> I have been under a rock. <laughs> well, maybe we can think about it as like people that have helped you on your journey in particular, you know, like real advocates of Freenom that made really pivotal contributions to you as a founder, as a leader, or to the company. Any, anyone you want to shout out, give some flowers to. Gosh, it's so hard to whittle that down. I know. I'm sure it's a whole tribe, honestly. Yeah. I would say that the most impactful people at Freenom have been a combination of individuals I work with every day, people who report to me, people who I work with side by side and get to learn from every day. I would say it's our clinical advisors, it's the patient advocacy groups, it's the people who are willing to help educate us when they don't need to educate us on the challenges of, for example, health equity issues in colorectal cancer screening. We had, I think, an amazing panel of, of leaders during Black History Month that was focused on a lot of the unlearning that needs to happen in our healthcare system and situations that these leaders see day in and day out as either providers or on the advocacy side or even from a health policy perspective. And the fact that they took the time to educate Freenom on that, it was just so inspiring. And I think for me personally, it's only been from the individuals I work with, the advisors, our board who have supported and been able to all come together to help, I think, really lean on the shoulders of incredible individuals to help advance Freenom's mission. So it takes a, a whole village and some and multiple villages come together to right. have a company like Freenome even exist. Right. And we definitely could not be where we are without everyone coming together. And I would say even broadly in the field, the more we can collaborate and be partners and work as an ecosystem, because especially cancer screening is not a, a easy journey. And it's we're not there yet. Yeah. We have a long way to go. There are 200 plus cancers and there's a lot of opportunity even beyond oncology as we think about this concept of early detection and early intervention. You can take Alzheimer's and the recent Biogen drug, which has its own differing views in terms of efficacy. And I think the important data point there is that in earlier stage Alzheimer's, there was improved outcomes. And hopefully this general principle of approaching more non-invasive accessible testing for identifying disease early is the concept that we'll be able to bring to even beyond oncology. For sure. And I think the advisors and people in the field that have helped shape that vision and can help us move in those other areas have really brought in the potential of what Freenome can be. I love it. And I guess for a final question, what would you like your legacy to be? At the end of this road, I know you still have you have a long road behind you. You got a longer road ahead of you still, I'm sure. What would you like to have achieved at the end of all of this? What is it that kind of keeps pushing you? It's the culture. It's having the culture endure and be much bigger than any single individual. And I think that that's more of something that you never achieve. It's not a legacy. It's just, it's a state and it's a state that you have to fight for and a state that will change and it'll be a moving target. But having the culture of the organization continue to live on for you know hundreds and hundreds of years, that would be the, I think the most beautiful thing, especially given our culture is driven towards our mission. Right. And that's really improving quality of life for as many people as possible through what we're building at Freenome. 
And to me, it all comes back to the culture and the people and making sure that the everything we've talked about even today right. can continue to evolve and grow, especially as, as we as people and, and we as even a company learn better ways to serve the people that we want to impact. And I think that comes with a lot of obligation and, and also needs to always have the mindset of humility of listen and you will make mistakes. But that adaptive mindset to me and the culture is the most important thing. And I don't think it's a legacy. It's something that you always need to achieve and strive for. And it's something that's not easy. And it's something that will change, especially at different stages. But it will hopefully allow Freenome to endure and continue being able to make an impact on, on people's lives. No doubt. Well, for everybody whose life you've affected positively and all the lives that you're that you'll eventually touch, thank you for the work on behalf of all of them, all of us. I hope that you continue with all the success and I appreciate you for being so gracious with your time with us today. Yeah. Appreciate you, Riley. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed the discussion and appreciate the opportunity as well, sharing our story and our data point and hopefully it can help especially people in this space who are striving for making impact, which I genuinely believe everybody is wanting to do. And there's so much we've learned, I think, uh, of many past decades in the field, uh, especially as biotechs now emerge. And it's so exciting to see different industries and groups coming together to support, I think, what biotech can be, which again, always comes back to, I think, about my beginning on this journey, especially with my sister. And it changes an entire trajectory of not only my family, but you know me personally. Yeah. That's one of the most inspiring things to see firsthand. And that's what we want to build is products that not only give people a quality of life and longer lives, but also inspires them to help the people around them. Especially all of us are touched by disease at one point or another. And you know, the more products can be empowering and be motivating that we all can help anyone go through those times when there's a, a disease that touches our families. Absolutely. I'm sure you've inspired some founders today earlier in the journey. So thank you again for that. All right, we'll wrap there. Thank you, Riley. Of course. The Gradients is brought to you by Build Talent. To find out more about us, head to buildtalent.io and make sure to search for The Gradients in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And on behalf of everyone here at Build, thanks for listening.